Welcome to the Educational Leadership Series, Lead Change in Education, where your co-hosts, Adam Drummond and Mark McAmoyle, talk with educational leaders across the country in ways that they're boosting student academic achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Each episode is especially designed to examine the ways that you can be instructional change agents in your schools as you work to reform culture, instructional planning, learner engagement, and community advocacy in your schools or in your districts. Take the ideas from our guests and work to apply them in your schools so that you can be instructional change agents too. Welcome back to another exciting season of Lead Change in Education, where we talk with school leaders who are making an impact in the work that they do every day. We're excited to have Jonathan Cooper, Superintendent of Mason City Schools in Mason, Ohio, joining us today. Uh, Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, Adam. I'm really excited to be a part of your program today. Great. Well, we are excited to talk with you. I know um, in, in working with Mark, he just had very, very positive things to say about the work that you're doing in Mason City Schools and would love just to talk with you a little bit about your experiences. So if you could start just by telling us a little bit about yourself and the school district. Sure. So um, I'm in my second year as a superintendent and um, I've been in education for now about 15 years and it has just been a, a great journey. Uh, I came from a family of educators, so it's in our blood to serve in this capacity, and we've just really loved it as a family business. And the district I get to serve in and have the privilege of serving in is uh, Mason City Schools. It's a suburb of Cincinnati. We have about 10,500 students. Um, We are a very high-profile, high-performance school district and um, just really great teaching staff, solid leaders, very supportive community. We have about 85 languages spoken throughout our school district, so quite a bit of diversity. And um, the economy, um, or I guess the businesses around our school district are very invested in seeing us continue to come up with innovative ways to uh, deliver education. So it's it's a great place to serve and um, a real privilege. Great. Thank you so much, Jonathan. A couple of things that really spoke to me in your introduction. One is you reiterated the the use of the word serve and the idea of being a servant leader. And I think that um, as as we look at school leadership, I think having that mentality around what is our philosophy and how we lead um, makes a huge difference. And in learning about your school district with um, 85 different languages and the diversity that's there, tell us a little bit about how you um, enhance and, and impact culture with so many different um, individual cultures coming together in your school district? Yeah, great question, Adam. So um, I will say that culture is probably the number one thing we spend most of our time around as a leadership team and as a school district. When I came in my first year, one of the things that was very clear to me was that um, people had a, a great desire to um, begin to align our efforts towards something that we could all believe in together, a shared vision or a shared Um, belief system that would impact the way that we lived out our culture. And so in that first year, I did a lot of listening. I I kind of went on a listening tour. I called them community conversations. And I did um, just about 50 of those where I would be out in the community or I'd meet with teachers or I'd meet with um, 
some of the students and they would give me feedback on, on what did they want to see as our values as a school district. And so then we began to build what we call our culture guide. And our culture guide really started to lay out some really clear, I, I call it kind of the, uh, the true north or our compass um, to guide us in our decision making as a school district or as a community. And the three things that were really clear to us as we were going through that process is that um, there was a real desire for relationship building and meaningful relationships at that. So one of the values or the beliefs that we started to really uh, rally around was what does it mean and what does it look like to build meaningful relationships? So that was one of the things that really started us down this journey. Um, and then the, the other one was this idea of, of owning the moment. What does it mean to really take ownership of something and do the right thing, even when it's difficult? And so that was a theme that came out of that. And then the third theme that came out was this idea that your story matters and that everyone needs to feel valued, that we need to be listening to each other and building on our strengths together as a community. And so, so I'll stop there, but that was, that was kind of the initial conversations that we were having in year one. And then that really led us to so much more as a part of our culture guide. That's great. I love the idea of a, of a culture guide and, and really giving not only teachers, but even your other stakeholders, such as parents and community members, a, a focus around this is how we do business at Mason City Schools. And as you think about that progression, going from the community conversations to the culture guide, um, tell us a little bit about that process and how, how you took those conversations and who helped really build out that culture guide. Yeah, the, it really was. Um, you've heard of the um, concept of crowdsourcing. I started to use the, the terminology community sourcing because it really did take um, all voices from the community. That was one of the things I was probably most proud about is that it was really um, the voices of our community that developed our direction in this process. And so I had um, not only student voice in this, but teacher voice, parent voice, and also community partnerships were also a part of this. And what that did was it helped us to really focus in on, okay, so if culture is going to be one of our big rocks, so to speak, because we, we talk about them as these three big rocks in our district, what are the other rocks that we would um, begin to use as our guiding um, kind of guiding us through what we do and how we make decisions. So culture was that, that one. And I told you about those beliefs. And then that led us into something called inclusive excellence. And that was that idea of appreciating to your first question, how do you bring all these cultures together? Well, one of the ideas in, in inclusive excellence is we really wanted to be an organization that people could come to um, school or to work or be a part of our community and feel like they can be them full, their full selves. They can be the best version of themselves. And so that really was some direct and clear evidence that inclusive excellence was necessary for that. So we did a lot of training in that. And so not only did we have a lot of input on what direction to go, but we started to bring experts in from around um, our profession to help us uh, think that through and, and, and define that. And then that led us right into our philosophy of learning. And so that led us into what we term as personalized learning, but really personalized learning is all about the person. And so you can kind of see this progression of how our culture guide and the beliefs led us to kind of our spirit of what we wanted to embrace at Inclusive Excellence that led us into how do we want to deliver learning experiences for all of our learners? 
Wow, that's amazing. I'm just kind of sitting here creating kind of a, a map of that process. <laughs> and um, obviously, that's not something that happens overnight. And it takes a lot of intentionality. And I, and I love the idea around inclusive excellence. And tell us a little bit about what were some of the challenges that came from that process in terms of training staff and, and really moving the culture um, to really to live that inclusive excellence every day? Yeah, that's an insightful question because it was the, the part about getting the beliefs in place, the own the moment, the building meaningful relationships and your story matters, those three things. That part was hard, but it wasn't um, it wasn't really hard work. Does that make sense? It was difficult for us mm-hmm. because it was you had to get things aligned and get voices together and get that. But then when we moved into the space of inclusive excellence, now we're starting to move into what I, we always refer to as the heart work. Um, and and that's where people really had to um, really evaluate their beliefs and say, OK, these are my personal beliefs, but here are organizational beliefs. And how do I how do I blend those things together and, and continue to honor who I am and what I believe, but also to honor other stories, honor other belief systems that are coming into this space? How do we take our personal 20 square feet of culture and begin to blend those together? So some of the challenges we ran into right away is um, we had to create, a, um, I guess, a, a safe culture or a safe environment for people to share openly. So at first we started that process and, it, and it, it wasn't happening naturally. You know, we were we were putting these prompts out of like, these are things we would like us to discuss. And we'd like you to be open and vulnerable to discuss these things. And we started to realize that there, the groups were too big to have those vulnerable conversations. People weren't opening up in the way that we were desiring to see and change was not happening at the level that we were hoping. So what we did from there was we built a network of teams throughout our district and we took our 1300 employees and we, we built them into teams of eight. We kind of used um, general McChrystal, Stanley McChrystal's book, uh, team of team structure. And we built our whole entire organization into a team of team structure so that we could begin to break down those conversations to small and more intimate groups where people began to build trust and that trust led to opening up. And so that's, that's kind of the learning process that we had to go through and, um, it has made a world of difference, but that took us a little bit of growing pains to get there. Wow. That's amazing. I'm writing down that book um, because I, I think that that's something that is so important when you hit on is that vulnerability and the ability to be able to trust. Um, and what we know is if we want to build that trust for students, we have to have that safe space for adults first that we, we trust the process, we feel safe so that we can then transfer that into our students feeling safe. Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about that transfer process and, and what, when and how did you see that start to work with students? Well, you know, we started to see it because our student population um, was very um, in tune. I, I would say this a lot of times, and you probably know this from being in the profession and people listening will know this, but the several moments in our life as professionals, our students are already, their readiness level is already there. Uh, sometimes it takes the adults um, time to get there. And so we had, we had heard from our students that there were some things that were going on um, in our culture that just were not healthy, whether it was microaggressions that they were experiencing or um, we have a very diverse population. So there was um, 
a lack of understanding about Ramadan, for example, and there was a lack of understanding about some of the other religious um, things that were happening in our, and there wasn't an appreciation. And so they were telling us that as students, we were listening and trying to figure out, well, how do we navigate this? Because, you know, those are, those are sensitive conversations and it's sensitive in a community. We're in a very conservative community. So just trying to blend all that together and, 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 and do that well while honoring our students. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it took a lot of open dialogue with our students and our, and our families. And so those were not easy. I mean, I, I don't want to sugarcoat that. We, we definitely had some really heart to heart, difficult conversations, but you almost had to have that. We had to learn how to be uncomfortable together for a while in order to build the trust and the collaboration that was authentic. Wow. And I, I so appreciate that the student voice was built into that process. And it, it almost from what I'm gathering is, is this process was really from the inside out, that really listening to our students and, and hearing from them and saying, okay, as adults, what do we need to change in order to create that inclusive environment? Yes. Yeah. And I, and I believe, I mean, I, I always tell people, you know, authentic leadership and authentic cultures are built from within. You don't, there's, there's so many programs and neat things out there and, and it's good to use those as starting points or as reference points. Um, but it's so healthy for an organization to actually go within, to listen and to really personalize that experience and build that together. Um, Cause I think those are the kind of cultures that sustain over time. Yeah, absolutely. And as you think about the, the culture and the sustaining, obviously this has been um, Yeoman's work and what are some of the pieces now that you see when you walk through your schools as a result of this work that's happened all from a culture guide that moved into inclusive excellence, which then moved into these team of teams um, to really transform that culture. You know, probably the most powerful evidence is that you, you can walk into any of our schools at any point in time and, and talk with our students and our staff. And, and I mean, when I say staff, I mean, holistically, anyone, you can talk to a bus driver, a, a nutrition services, you can say, what are the three beliefs that guide your culture? And all of them will use a common language. And that common language has real meaning behind it. And then we've also begun to share stories around it. So people can actually mm. share stories of evidence of how are we actually living that out. And so I can tell you, um, even from difficult decisions, when I have to sit down with an employee that maybe has made some choices that are, are not aligned with our culture guide and sit down and I literally open up um, our culture guide. We have it version one out this year and version two will come out next year. But I literally open it up and say, hey, uh, you know, I care about you as part of our, our Mason family. And I want to share with you that right now, the behaviors that you're displaying out here, the way you're living out your life is not in alignment with the culture values that we've established as a common set of values as a district. So help me understand how I can help you. Help us understand as a as a community how we can wrap around you. Or And we've had some of those moments where people say, you know what, that's not me. And, and this isn't going to be the place for me. And, and it, those are actually very clarifying moments of saying, totally get it. We appreciate your honesty. And, and this is definitely a, a way we might split pathways. But in many times, it's a, a way to bring people back together and to kind of build that trust back up because they, they understand we're coming from a spirit of care for them. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's the power of having this because you have that common language, you have a place to go to a reference point. And then I think the other thing that I've really just appreciated and, and you know, currently we're, 
we're taping this in the middle of a pandemic. And so I can say, right. I am so glad that we have this very well-established culture um, in our district because people are leaning on it and referencing it nonstop right now. I mean, when we do, so one of the things to sustain this effort is I do a, what we call a big rock talk every, every month where I do a video to the staff. Well, right now, because of the pandemic, we're actually doing three videos a week to our, um, to our whole entire community. And, and we're talking about how the values, whether it's the decision-making around our grading practice for the rest of the year or how we're connecting with kids, how all of those decisions are driven through the culture values and trying to really connect those things together. And so it's helping people to understand how to live this out, even in the most difficult times. Wow, that's really powerful. And I, and I think um, as we're living through this pandemic, to have that foundation already set and to be able to funnel really all decision making through those foundations has to be a level of, of reassurance for folks. Um, because you're going back to what they already know. Absolutely. It, it does create the one constant um, that people can look forward to and, and use. And it really is, I would say, the, lang the common language is, is very encouraging to people to say, hey, um, like R4, we have this R factor language that Tim Kite has introduced to us. So if you don't know Tim Kite, check him out sometime. But he does this thing called the R factor. And a part of our culture work is, hey, uh, number four on here is, adjust and adapt. And so we always say this is an R4 moment. We are adjusting and adapting constantly through this. So let's do that together because we're stronger together. So it, it is very encouraging um, to have that in place already. That's great. So as we wrap up our time together, I mean, I've learned so much just in our, our 15 minutes here, and I know our listeners as well. Um, what's the one first step that you would recommend folks if they're thinking, man, I need to really go back and do a, a culture check and, and maybe start over in where we want to be. What would you recommend to those leaders? You know, I would say it's easy. It's just listen. And, and I would encourage any leader that's listening to this or anyone, it's not too late. So if you've started something and maybe you have some good things going, that process of listening to people and making sure there's um, an equal opportunity for voices to come to the table and come in front of you, especially if you're a, um, leading the school district as a superintendent or you're leading the building as a principal. Uh, sometimes you don't, people don't just bring all those things to you. So create the space or the process or system to listen. For me, it's a community conversation. So I go out into the community, into living rooms. And this last year I did 80 of them, but you're, you're listening. You're sitting and listening to people and saying, tell me, what are we doing well? What things should we continue to adjust? And then through that, that will begin to develop this shared language, a shared belief, and then start to capture those. And once you capture them and people agree upon them, use them every day and, and speak to them every day, give people stories around them every day, celebrate them every day. And that will become kind of that rhythm of work or, or communication cadence for your school district or your organization that will begin to give people that consistent hope that they're looking for in our world today. That's fantastic. Um, I, I almost don't even want to end now because you ended it so well um, <laughs> that I don't really, I don't have anything else to add except that our leaders that are listening today um, need to do two things. And, and one is they need to follow you on, on Twitter um, and get to know the work that you're doing. And so if you want to follow um, 
uh, Mr. Cooper and talk with him and, and see what he's doing in Mason City Schools. You can follow him at Cooper Learns, C-O-O-P-E-R, L-E-A-R-N-S. And then I'd also encourage folks to, to look up your website. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time here in the last week, and there's great information that just really connects what you've shared with us today visually. Um, and so I would encourage folks to check out the website, and that's MasonOhioSchools.com. Jonathan, it's been great um, to have you on our, our show today and just so appreciate the time that you've given to our leaders and to congratulate you on on creating what is very evident, a, a culture where it's inclusive for everyone to succeed. Adam, I appreciate being here and I appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's so important to share people's stories and to learn. Thanks for joining another exciting episode of Lead, Change, and Education, where we talk with educational leaders just like you and how they're boosting student achievement and building collective teacher efficacy. Tune in to our weekly podcast by joining and subscribing to the podcast platform that works best for you. You can also follow Adam at Adam D. Drummond or Mark at MWHS Principal on Twitter. You can also find us on LinkedIn and you can use the hashtag LeadChangeEd to stay up to date on all of the exciting things that are happening in education related to our podcast as well as the work that we do each and every day. Until next time, be the change you wish to lead in your schools.